0: Ron Moquette is someone that needs no introduction for anyone with knowledge of Oaklawn, The trainer of top-notch horses such as Man in the Can and Whitmore, Moquette has come a long way since he won his first $10,000 maiden and $50,000 stake. The 50-year-old trainer is careful about what horses he trains, not necessarily looking for the top horses, but the horses whose potential he sees and feels that he can get them to that level. I recently sat down with Moquette to talk about how he got involved in horse racing and his thoughts on Oaklawn moving its opening weekend to December instead of late January. My name is James Lee, and this is Garland County Locker Room, brought to you by the Sentinel Records Sports Department.
1: just want to welcome Ron Moquette to the podcast today. Tell me, how did you get into training?
2: I was raised in Ficola, Oklahoma, which is on the border of Arkansas and Oklahoma. Right. And, uh... And a lot of my friends had uh, match racing horses and there was a quarter horse, uh, place near where I grew up. And, uh, so I, I fell in love with match racing first and always loved horses and, and animals. So, sure. uh, the thought of getting to, to, uh, to hang around with horses and make money doing it was just, just seemed like a, a big deal for me. Sure. Um,
1: so for people who might not know the difference, what's the difference between uh, match racing and quarter horses versus you know thoroughbreds?
2: Well, in Oklahoma, match racing was mainly before Paramutual was allowed. So a match race was whenever um, a bunch of people that had horses would get together and they would hang out by the trailers and there'd be somebody who would challenge someone else. Sure to a race of a certain distance and you would go over there and you'd work out, you'd run out of the gates and whoever won won, and you had a wager. So right. it's a very interesting deal. And it's really popular in Louisiana and Oklahoma and Texas. And uh, a lot of people that were into match racing went on to pari which is what we do now.
1: Right. So how did you end up here in Hot Springs here at Oklahoma?
2: Well, growing up, you know, on the border border of Arkansas, Oklahoma, the only real horse racing I got to see was the Kentucky Derby mm-hmm. and whatever the local news would show us about Oakland. And uh, to me, coming from where I was from, Oaklawn was a big fancy spot. And it was full of really fast horses that were faster than anything I had. Right. And I always wanted to compete you know, as a young man, I wanted to compete at Oakland, and, and uh, thought, you know, if I was going to make it, you know, I'd have to go to Kentucky and and uh, here at Oakland.
1: Yeah. So, how did you get to? I mean, actually into the training portion, because I mean, obviously, you know, you can't just go out one day and say, "Hey, I'm going to start being a horse
2: trainer." I mean, well, it's a little different than it was than it is now. Right. Uh, now you could, you could email someone. You could text them. You could a lot of social media's ways of getting a hold of people. But it was a very closed off community. Mm-hmm. Was the horseman, and I was just a young kid that loved horses. So in this sport, if you're not, you know, somebody's kid, you know, it's hard to get involved. Right. And so what I did was. Is I come up to Oaklawn Park after I, you know, worked around horses and tried to get a job, and mm-hmm. the the people that gave me my first job at Oaklawn was Bernie Flint, and he gave me a tack room to live in, and and he let me stay right there in the barn. Which you know, <laughs> people say, well that wasn't that hard, or no, it's exactly what I wanted. Right. The thought of my neighbors being horses was was still is better for me. I'd rather that than people right so i lived in a tack room at Temperance hill and uh and was walking hots and the more that they one thing about horse trainers is is if they see that you can do something they'll let you do it so i started off walking hots and then i was clipping horses and holding for the blacksmith and and uh, you know the next thing you know i'm doing driving a truck and trailer and doing the whole thing and uh know, the more that they saw that the young kid knew, they let the young kid do it. Right. So how did
1: you go from doing that into actually, you know, getting your own horses that you're training? I mean, obviously you eventually had to to separate from yeah, you were working
2: with. Sure. Uh, You know, in this game, everybody does it different. Everyone's path is different. You know, I looking out, you know, I'd have loved to have been – you know, a big fancy trainer or owner's son, it probably been a lot to me. It seems like it would be easier, mm-hmm. but you know, I'm appreciative of the path that I went and it was hard and it meant me nearly going out of business four or five times and me having to take side jobs or, or, you know, do crazy things to, to come up with money to just stay in the game. Sure. And it really separated, you know, for me, the people who wanted to do it from the people that were just getting to do it, you know? Right. And so, I, luckily, I found an owner that liked the fact that I was hardworking and was good with horses, and he gave me a couple problem horses. Mm-hmm. And he said, here, I'm, I've got a trainer, but if you can get something out of these problematic horses, then you can train them. And I was like, well, shoot, I'm a horse trainer. I can do that. <laughs> so, so we did that, and we... We were very fortunate and, uh, and everything was going blue blazes. We, that guy got confidence in me and we went and bought some horses. And the first stakes winner I ever had was a horse that he bought for me named Asher. She won the, the Passiana and the Pippin here. Right. And, uh, that was huge. That was for me it was a $50,000 stake at Oakland Park yeah. for a guy that started off in a thousand dollar maiden special weight. That was the first race I won. Right. That was huge. And, uh, you know, and then, and then there's a test, you know, Ron, how bad do you want to do this? Because one day I walk into the barn and find out my only owner, Mr. Meyer passed away Mm. and all the horses were gone. And so, you know, I had two or three horses for people that, uh, that were using me because they didn't have to pay very much. And it was hard. Right. Uh, but you know, it, uh it made me appreciate the opportunities I get. So I, you know, that's one of the deals where you're working in this sport, everything's going good. And then something like that, you know, uh, the guy that gave me an opportunity is gone. And now I'm still an outsider. I'm from Oklahoma. I'm not from Louisville or, or New Orleans, Louisiana. You know, I'm the border of Arkansas, Oklahoma. There's only things there is quarter horses. So there wasn't anybody going, Hey, let's give this kid a shot. And, now, this was before a win percentage was in the form. This was mm-hmm. before before social media had somebody bragging about how good you did. It, everything was word of mouth right. and reputation. So it was hard to be a young guy coming up sure. where I did, but I wouldn't trade it.
1: Yeah. So, you know, obviously, you know, you've come a long way from, you know, winning that first 10000 maiden, you know, that 54000 graded. Um How did you progress from from there to
2: where you are today? Because
1: how many horses do you have that that you train now?
2: 70. Yeah. Um, You know, it was a weird deal. You know, you shouldn't curse your path because it – but it was hard. And my wife says I was just too hard-headed to quit. (laughs) And I was, you know, I was lucky in the fact that people started noticing – that me and the barn that I had was doing well with what we had. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, now I'm fortunate. Fast forward. I'm fortunate enough to train for some of the best owners in the world. And, uh, I don't deserve to train for them, but I'm glad they let me.
1: Yeah. Obviously, after you built a name for yourself, you have people seeking you out. Mm-hmm. Who, who are some of the, the most surprising people that,
2: you know, reached out to you at least early on? Well, you know, I'm still now, mm-hmm. I don't take everybody that wants me to train for them. And if I wanted to, I could have 250 horses tomorrow. You know, not tomorrow, but I could have them. Sure. But that's not my thing. Uh, that's I figured out very early that that wasn't the thing that excited me or moved me. To see who could who could win the most races is not where I'm at. I want to develop horses and do right by the horses that I have. And I'm fortunate to have the owners that I do. And uh, but I've also got some people that that come ask me, and I told them that you know right now we're you know the inn is full. We're not we're not taking any more. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was amazing to me whenever uh, Bob LaPinta and Harry Rosenblum, and, and Alex Lieblom and, and Charles Sella, and now Lou Sella, mm-hmm. and Gary Mary West. I mean Stuart Madison. These are Ted Bowman. These are people that anybody would want to train for in this business. Sure. And, you know, just super happy that they, they, uh, entrusted me and my organization, the opportunity.
1: Yeah. Um, you said that your goal isn't to necessarily have the horse that wins every time. What would you say is probably your biggest success story in training?
2: Um, there's several that I'm proud of for different reasons. Uh, I'm as proud as some of the $20,000 maiden claiming races I've won because I never thought we would get the horse to that level. You, see the goal is is to understand that uh, you know a guy that's 56 isn't necessarily going to be able to dunk the basketball. Right. But if you can make that 5-6 do the very best you can and you can touch the bottom of the net and score you know, 20 points, then you've done a good job as a coach. My job is to see the talent, recognize where, where it can be most effective and then figure out a way to help develop it to reach the potential. And so I'm very pumped up about the job. Everybody's going to say Whitmore. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's the obvious for sure. sure. And I'm very proud of him and the job that our, our barn did with him. But I'm very proud of Seven Nation Army, a horse that was running for 20000 And I'm very proud of Asher. Mm-hmm. Asher was a filly that, you know, if we did everything the same way as everyone else, I don't think she'd have made it to the races. But instead, she was a graded stakes winner. Yeah. And so those are the kind of, of deals that I, I take pride in. Some of them aren't as well known. It, you know, like I said, of course, everybody knows Whitmore. Sure. And it was really cool to win the Breeders' Cup Sprint and win all the races here. I'm very proud for him and for us to do that. But uh, there's a lot of them that are, have brought me a source of pride in their own way. Right. Whitmore, um, obviously,
1: the, that's a, a name that everybody around here knows. You know. What what was it about him that you saw early on?
2: Well, the first thing I saw was was he's a beautiful horse. I mean, if you saw the picture I did, mm-hmm. I mean he's he's gorgeous, and you know, but there's a lot of good-looking horses out there running for maiden ten, right. and you know, the thing that he has always had is that he was honest he was 100% honest and he'd give you what what he could and uh, you know I uh, the thing that separated him from horses that were as talented as him was that he wanted it more right so whenever I saw him for sale I didn't know all that I knew he fought me loading in the trailer he fought me going to the gates he fought me galloping he fought every person in the barn he just basically give us the middle finger if it wasn't his idea and our job was to figure out a way to put that energy towards the other horses beating them and it was easy for him you know athletically right. he, he had it but mentally was the thing was to, to figure out a way to make what we're wanting him to do his idea
1: right um how, how did you how did you go about that because i know you know Horses can be as hard headed well, or I'm a, a married horse. man
2: so we're a world champion at uh, at figuring out a way to like make, make our idea someone else's so uh, he's uh, I've been good with animals and and not just horses but I, you know I'm, I'm a, don't believe we deserve dogs and cats and and all kinds of animals so I uh, I just go in there and try to figure out individually each day what makes them tick and sometimes they're an open book and it's easy to read and you know sometimes it's hard and and, uh, I also have a very good relationship with the Gallup person and because it's my wife yeah so when everybody else is talking about vacations or whatever we're talking about did you notice Whitmore didn't want to change to his left lead today you know so it was kind of it kind of fell together yeah so it, it was it worked out great for us So
1: what are your thoughts on the the shift in the season, moving it from end of January back to
2: start of December? Well, the obvious is I'm happy to be in hot Springs. Sure. I love being at Oakland. So the glutton in me is like a hundred percent tickled to death that we get to be running here for that amount of time. I think it'll be, take some adjusting. There's a lot of things that's going to need to be adjusted and, and, uh, you know, this is just the first part of a, of a step. I think, uh, I also believe that it's, uh, it's not going to be easy. You know, we're coming off of a year where there's a, there's a huge decline in availability of personnel. So, mm-hmm. and it's uh, at a time of year that people aren't used to coming. So uh, there's some obstacles, but you know, one thing I know about Oakland is they can, I mean, they can move mountains. So I, I think it's going to be fun. I, by the last twenty-four hours of the amount of horses I've seen come in, yeah, it tells me that that they're, we're going to be full. So from yeah. that point on, it'll take some adjustments, but it's going to be end up being good. Yeah, well, I know.
1: Here at the end of the year, there's not a whole lot of tracks that are, you know, running horses. So I know that kind of open for us
2: for uh, us horsemen. It's a chance to make income in a part of the year that was down and there was no income and. I can tell you, no matter how good a year you have, when you have a lot of money going out every week and, and no opportunity to bring any in, it, it makes things tight. And so it's a good deal for the horsemen and the vendors and the and everyone. So we're, we're tickled to death for the opportunity. Yeah. Um, well,
1: I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. I know you're a busy
2: man, so knocking
1: out a few we, minutes to talk to me is always shoot. Sure. We're happy to be here if you need us anymore, Holly.
0: Thanks for listening to Garland County Locker Room. You can find a companion story on our website and mobile app. If you like our content, please consider subscribing to get the latest content as soon as it becomes available. You can find Garland County Locker Room wherever you get your favorite podcasts. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for new episodes, please drop us an email at sports hotsr.com.